0: To begin this morning, I just want to invite you to to listen to God's Word and meditate upon these words. I think you'll find them worthy of meditation, to say the least. Listen to God's Word when He says, While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Pray with me if you would. Father, once again, we have the privilege of uniting our our minds together in praying. Coming before you and responding even to this great promise. that You have accomplished reconciliation through Your Son for us, and it happened while we were Your enemies. And that is magnificent. And that's why we're here. And that's why we serve, and that's why we do ministry. And It's the ultimate why. And we're thankful. May Christ be exalted this morning as we turn to your word to learn more about his great reconciling work. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to focus on Christ's reconciling work, and we're going to do so with a view toward communion. So This morning we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as Jesus commanded his followers to do, and we're going to do that focusing specifically on the fact that Jesus Christ has accomplished reconciliation Reconciliation is going to be the theme. When Jesus came and lived and He came and died and He came and He rose again from the dead, He accomplished many things. The cross work of Christ is multifaceted. But for this morning, we're going to focus specifically on reconciliation. And we're doing that so that our time again of obeying the Lord's command and even celebrating communion by eating bread and drinking wine, remembering what He did for us, As we do that, specifically, we're going to hone in on this great and profound reality of reconciliation. And so to do that, I would like to have us look at this great reality from multiple different angles. And let's start by talking about what needs to be first, and that's the adversarial relationship that exists. Let's talk about the relationship of conflict that exists that calls for reconciliation, and that's a relationship between you as a sinner and God as the holy righteous judge. And if you would turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter eight, verse seven, we'll look at one of numerous passages that talk about this great and profound reality that we were against God, and God was against us. And thus we have. the the huge need of reconciliation. In Romans chapter 8, verse 7, speaking of people who are not Christians, they're without the Spirit, Romans 8, 7 says, the mind set on the flesh, which is the unbelieving mind, is hostile toward God. And that would be true of you, apart from the grace of God. That would be true of every single one of us before conversion before we're saved we have natural minds and our mindset our focus our posture if you will is one of hostility toward god i don't know about you but i never have thought of myself of myself in those terms until after i became a christian or until I became a Christian and someone was showing me these things, I, I thought I was generally a good person and God and our friends, you know, he's the big guy upstairs, you know, father of all kind of thing. And then you, you, you begin to see that there's a huge need because the reality is we're not friends and he's not my father and I'm not his child. There's hostility and I'm actually against Him. And so I need reconciliation. And until you understand that you need reconciliation, the cross of Christ, which is God's reconciling work, will never make sense. It will always be skewed. It will always be at best a twisted perspective. Let's look at a couple of other passages that help us to just remember that we come out of a a background of hostility against God and from God. Colossians chapter 1, if you just turn to to the right, uh, several books to Colossians, you'll see in Colossians 1, and then we'll look at Colossians 2, setting the stage that there is hostility between you and between God. And if you're wondering why Christians need to focus on these things, for starters, it's because it's all over the Bible, books of the Bible that talk in the New Testament about two directed toward people who are Christians over and over again. they too are reminded of this past relationship. Because again, how can we see Christ as the great reconciler if we didn't really have a problem to begin with? And so, in one sense, the more true we are to understanding who we are, the better we see Christ. In Colossians chapter one, verse. 21 it says and although you were formerly alienated he's talking to people who are now Christians you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind engaged in evil deeds note the hostility is there there needs to be reconciliation because there is conflict of cosmic proportions if you turn to chapter 2 verse 14 you'll see something similar and in 214 it's talking about what Christ has done But notice what He's done as it looks back to where we were. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And we see passage after passage after passage after passage talking about the conflict that we have with God as unbelievers. We could look at other ones. We could look back at Romans chapter 5. It's while we were enemies. We could look at Ephesians chapter 2 and we see the magnitude of our offense toward God and hostility that exists between us calls for something great. Calls for Christ. Calls for the cross. Now some have suggested at this point this conflict between God and sinners is, is actually just on our part. We're actually antagonistic toward God, but God has never, ever been antagonistic toward sinners because, after all, God is love. And so there's conflict and there needs to be reconciliation, but it's only one-sided reconciliation because God has always been for us. He's never been against us. And we're just against Him. And so reconciliation is merely us being reconciled to God and God God not being reconciled to us. Well, it might sound good until you read your Bible, The fact of the matter is it's worse than that. Not only am I against God, He's against me. And so again, the magnitude of all of this becomes uh, uh, of epic proportions and which calls for an an epic intervention. Look with me, if you would, at Romans chapter 5. I read it to begin with, but if you look at Romans 5 once again, you'll see this. As you're turning to Romans 5, I'll just reference 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 19 that says, not counting their trespasses against them. The idea is, God was holding our trespasses against us. God was against us, all right, but through the work of his son and bringing about reconciliation, he no longer holds our trespasses against us. But even more profound is Romans chapter 5, verse 9, that says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, that is, declared righteous, By faith in Christ, notice what it says next in verse 9. We shall be saved, rescued, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Saved from the wrath of God, that that means we're we're otherwise under the wrath of God. So it doesn't make sense. It's way too short-sighted to say, I was against God, but He was never against me. And this would make no sense. The fact of the matter is we're under the wrath of God. Christ, through His work, saves us from the wrath of God. And so let's make sure, as we want to appreciate Christ, and we want to value Christ, and we want to worship Jesus Christ, and we want to see the the gospel as what it really is, good news, capital G. It requires that we first are honest about who we are, and that we're honest about who God is. God is a wrathful God. Yes, he's loving, but he's also wrathful. In the cross, we see both. But we do see both. And you see, when you start thinking about these things, and you start meditating on these things, the gospel isn't kind of good news. When you see God as more than just a senile grandfather who's powerless and happy with whatever you do, the gospel is kind of good, I guess. But if he is, as the Bible says, angry with sin every day, the gospel is really good news. It's gospel news. Let's move on. Move on to another angle. Let's talk about the author of reconciliation, and the author of reconciliation is God. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you're in Romans, you just go to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, we see the author of this reconciliation is God. It is God, period. Here's what it's not like. It's not like, okay, God is against us because He's a just and righteous God and we've offended Him, and we're against God because... We're sinners and, and He's telling us what to do and how dare He, as if He's God or something. And there's this conflict going on. It's not like then what happens is we meet in the middle and we have reconciliation. It's not like that. It's not like God then sees us waving the white flag of surrender, saying, you know what? We have been wrong all along and so therefore, we're waving the flag. We're doing our part. Now you do your part. If you're thinking in those terms... You need to read this verse. Okay? God is the reconciler. Look at 2 Corinthians five, eighteen. This is one of those places in my Bible that's so worn out, I hardly have a place to put my paperclip. This is a good place to have you wear your Bible out. This is gospel, deep, profound truth. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, now all these things, these gospel things, these things of reconciliation, the work of Christ, now all these things are from God. Okay, He hasn't proven the point yet, but you get the idea. All of these things, all of this is from, from, from where? From whom? It's from God. God who reconciled. Who's the reconciler? It's God. God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling. Who's doing the reconciling? It's all Him. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And then verse 21, He, see it's God. He made Him. The Father made the Son. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Please get it. God did this from start to finish. God is the one who reconciled. He is the one who initiates. He is the one, therefore, who what? Who is to be praised. That's why we say salvation is by grace alone. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. Because we don't have two warring parties at conflict with one another and then they each decide to make peace with one another. No, you don't have that. You have what Romans 5 says, and that is, while we were yet sinners, while we were engaged in evil deeds, while we were maintaining our hostility against God, while we were yet, a sin- while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any more basic than that. Reconciliation happens very one-sidedly. God is the one who reconciles. And that's good news to us because we're sinners. He intervenes. He works. Romans 5.8, 5, Romans 5.10. We were reconciled to God. Prompted by nothing Pat did. Nothing you did. And that's why, as I've said for so long, for so many years, and I'll keep saying it, we won't get to heaven someday and say, high five, we did it. Good job, God. Knuckles, right? It's like we sang today. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, right? It's all about Him. It's all about exalting Him. And you know, this morning, again, this is all driving us toward obeying Christ and celebrating the Lord's Supper, which is the new covenant in His blood. Do this as often as you drink. Do this as often as you eat. And as we do that, what should we be thinking of? We should be thinking of Christ doing it all. He is the one. God, through Christ, reconciled us to Himself. It's all of Him. Now let's move on talking about what I've already been... I haven't been able to avoid, but just to, to keep things organized, let's talk about the agent of our reconciliation. It's obviously Christ. but Let's go ahead and see it in, in some of these passages. Are you still in Romans or are you in 2 Corinthians 5? Did you say 2 Nephi? That's in the Book of Mormon. You're in the wrong church. I'm kidding. <laughs> Which one? Both. Some of you are fast. Bring two Bibles. You're spiritual. Well, I don't know where you are, but we're going to look at Romans chapter 5 and 2 Corinthians 5. Okay, Make everybody happy. That's why I exist. Just kidding. (laughs) We've already been seeing this, but let's just see it for what it is. Christ is the one who does this, okay? All joking aside, Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's Him. He does it. He is the the, the reconciler. Verse 2, through whom, it's through Christ also, we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Then he goes on to talk about this in verse 6. and he goes on to talk about it in verse 9 in verse 10. Verse 11, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. It's Christ, 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 Christ. Then Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself. How? Through Christ. Verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Verse 21, He made Him, it's Christ as we already saw. It's Him, it's Him, it's Him, it's Him, it's Him. He's the hero of it all. He's the author, the perfecter. He is everything. He is the object of our faith. He is the reconciler. He's to be worshipped. 1 Peter 3.18 is great. It says, For Christ also died for sins once for all the just, for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God. I love that. That's reconciliation terminology. To take us and He brings us to God. Which makes all the sense in the world because the only way He could ever do that or we could ever be brought to God is if we're brought there by the perfect, spotless Lamb who is indeed righteous. He brings us there through His work. I love that. 1 Timothy two five. you know the passage well. Probably there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's... that's out of the background of, of conflict verbiage. There's one mediator. There's only one. That's why He's the object of our faith. Ephesians 2.14 says, He Himself is our peace. And he starts talking about Jew and Gentile conflict, but you don't have reconciliation between Jew and Gentile unless you have Christ, who is our peace. Don't you love that? Christ, who is our peace. Shalom. It's great. This is so good. It's so good. Well, I've already given it away, but another angle would be to look at this as far as, well, what has it accomplished? Well, reconciliation, but it's, it's, it's accomplished this peace. We now have peace with God. Romans 5.1, we've already looked at it multiple times. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And based upon the conflict we've heard about, this is huge. It's no wonder the Apostle Paul uses the kind of words he uses in Romans chapter 5. And, and, you know, it's what's more and what's better. And let me tell you about this. And he's all enthusiastic about all this. Well, well, you know what? We have peace with God. Can you believe it? This is absolutely amazing. Coming to grips with the fact that he is is this holy and righteous God who promises to judge sinners, who is angry with them every day, and who has to maintain his justice and his righteousness, or 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 he's a compromiser. But he's not really God. He doesn't keep his word. And yet, we can have peace with this God. You'd be excited too, and I hope you are. <laughs> Through Christ, we have peace with God? Again, this is not, this is not peace with the state. This is not peace with, with our human enemies. This is not peace with someone that you argue with a lot. You think about your worst arguing ever. You think about your worst... Relationship you have on this planet or that you have had in the past. Sorry to take you there. It doesn't, it doesn't even hold a candle to it. God. God, who the psalmist says has his bow drawn. Right? Trigger finger. With every right and reason to just go. And you are smoked. And you know what would happen? You know what the angels in heaven would do because they're holy and they know God is holy? They could justly and fairly and beautifully and magnificently worship God for doing that. Forever and ever. But he doesn't. With peace with that kind of God. You say, "Well, I don't believe in that kind of God." Well, you should. <laughs> You know, or don't call yourself a Christian. This is who the God of the Bible is. But he's not only this just and righteous God who has the bow drawn, he also is loving and compassionate, and he's a reconciling God. So what happens? He he has his son come to this world and obey the law because you're a lawbreaker, and so am I. To fulfill all righteousness, as the Bible says. And then he goes to the cross. And then and there, God, in fact, lets go of the bow. Or the string. And pours out his undiluted wrath on his son, the righteous one, because he's dying in place of unrighteous ones. This is 2 Corinthians 5. This is amazing. So then for, for us to read something like Romans chapter 5, having read Romans 1 to 4, you say, we have peace with God? This is awesome. This is staggering. This is amazing. Colossians 1.21, we've already gone there. He's now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death. It's amazing. And then what happens is, we're looking at everything so far and primarily from a vertical relational vantage point, but if there's peace with God on a vertical level, in Ephesians we're going to learn that based upon that peace with God, now we can have peace with God. Or excuse me, now we can have peace with each other. And he uses the the, the arch rivals of all arch rivals, Jew and Gentile, who would see themselves as having nothing in common other than their fellow human beings, and that might even be questionable. And in Ephesians, you have Jew and Gentile united as one spiritual family through faith in Christ. On one level, you've got to say, You've got to be kidding me. After all of the history, are you serious? If if that could happen, I would be really amazed. How could that happen? It's the cross. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For He Himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Skipping ahead in that passage. Thus establishing peace. I've got to love that. And if Jew and Gentile can get along... Fellow Gentiles can get along. Or fellow Jews can get along. Think about that. And then, if you would, think about this. When you can't get along with someone, but I'm sure you're all godly, mature Christians, so so let's not use you. Okay, so when when you know someone who can't get along with someone else, you know two Christians who can't get along. You know those other people. You bring up in prayer group. I have a concern. (laughs) Hypothetical, not you, not me. All right. And they can't get along. You know what you have a great opportunity to talk to them about? Before you talk to them about their issue. Because it's actually a sign that there's a different issue that's a bigger issue. It's that issue, it's the cross. Because it must be, it must be that the reason they can't get along is because they don't understand what Christ did in reconciling them as sinners to God. Because if you really get that, maybe you don't even really get that, you just kind of get that. If you get that, you know, just 5%, if you really come to grips with the fact that you're against God and God is against you and He has His Son come, And bring about reconciliation. You can get along with anybody. You, if you really get the the magnitude of the proportion of that reconciliation, now all of a sudden we can get along. And so, what you have is a a wonderful opportunity to talk about Christ, to talk about what He's done. It's a great opportunity. I love what the Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said many years ago. Our love ought to follow the love of God in one point, namely in always seeking to produce reconciliation. It was to this end that God sent His Son. Has anybody offended you? Seek reconciliation. And then He gives us some good sarcasm here. Oh, but I was the offended party. So was God. And he went straight away and sought reconciliation. He says, Brother, do the same. Oh, but but I've been insulted. Just so. So was God. All the wrong was toward him, yet he sent. Oh, but the party is so unworthy. So are you. But God loved you and sent his son anyway. love finding quotes like that because that way I don't have to say it to you. This goes back to we, we need to get the cross. And if we get the cross, then we can get the other stuff. We're not going to take the time to go there, but we could go at another angle looking at this reconciliation that happens, this peace that happens. It's not only between us and God, it's not only between us on a horizontal level, it's also on a cosmic level. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Talks about this. That because of the work of Christ, there is actually cosmic, universal peace that has been secured, even though it hasn't been realized yet. Because he's reconciled all things through his work. The reason we as Christians have a, a sureness about the days ahead and what's going to happen, that it is all going to work out right in the end, ultimately and Christ is going to fix everything ultimately, and there is going to be justice, and there's going to be perfect reconciliation, even on a nature level, on a cosmic level, affecting absolutely everything and everyone, is because of the cross. Read Colossians. It's because of what Christ has done. Well, let's end on, on this angle. A final angle would be the absoluteness of reconciliation the absoluteness of re- reconciliation and if you would turn to second corinthians 5 if you're not there already i want to set this up a bit and maybe this is just for me or or better yet i think this comes out of a burden from me because for a long time i never thought about this as a christian and maybe you're like me here's here's how i thought and I think it was a foul, okay? I think it was, it was just immature. I've, for most of my Christian life, thought of Christ's reconciling work, yes, is, is, is wonderful, yes, is great, yes, is the key to everything Christian, and that's all, all correct and right, like many of you. But I thought in terms of Christ's work on the cross as bringing about potential reconciliation. I don't think I would have said it that way, but, but I would have thought in those terms. You know, Christ is great. Christ is magnificent. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I would have gone to the wall for all of those things, believe those things with all of my heart. But in my mind, I also thought in terms of the cross providing a potential reconciliation. And I would suggest to you that it's a little short-sighted that what we see in the bible is christ bringing about sure reconciliation. And let's see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 18 where it says now all these things these gospel things we've already read the passage once but let's see it again all these things are from god who reconciled or as i've been known to say before who reconciled okay notice the tense He did all this through Christ and and, and through Him He reconciled. And he's talking about the historic work of Christ. When Jesus was crucified in Palestine, He reconciled. So there's something bigger and and more profound and grander about the cross work of Christ than I was giving it. Because I was thinking in terms, even though I wouldn't have read my Bible this way, I wouldn't have said it this way, Christ came and, and, and He brought about potential reconciliation. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But it's better than that. What He did was sure. What He did was absolute. When He said, It is finished! There really was nothing left to be done because He accomplished reconciliation. And now I think, genuinely and truly, even though there's some mystery involved, as we'll talk about in just a moment, I don't have it all figured out. I think I see Christ as greater than I used to. And you can't go wrong thinking of Christ as better than you used to think of Him. You can't think of Him highly enough, especially when the Bible says He reconciled. And then keep reading, if you would, in verse 18. Us, he reconciled us to himself through Christ. John Murray in his helpful little book called Redemption Accomplished and Applied said, reconciliation is a finished work. The tenses put this beyond Doubt. It's a helpful little book. Even that book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. It's not potential redemption, just as it's not potential reconciliation. Now, where there is complication to this is if you keep reading, and some of you no doubt have, if you keep reading in that section of Scripture, in verse 20, it ends with, Be reconciled to God. Both are true. There is a sense in which we then, who are Christians, call other people, and we say to them, be reconciled to God. Right? This makes sense because we're dead in trespasses and sins before we believe in Christ. Ephesians 2, Romans chapter 5, you were enemies. So we're not born into this world reconciled to God. We're born into this world as sinners who are the enemies of God. Dead in trespasses and sins. We're not reconciled. And so we call people, when we call them to believe in Christ, to repent of their sin by the grace of God, we say you need to be reconciled to God. And that's right and good. It's right there in the passage. But know that that application, if you will, as John Murray would want us to to see, is based upon the fact that Christ reconciled, past tense, done, complete. And exactly how the two work is a bit of a challenge. But make sure you know the Bible teaches both. And there's no conflict in God's mind. What needed to be done was done on the cross. He reconciled us. It is finished. It's true I've gone through my life as an unbeliever needing to be reconciled to God. So by the grace of God... God convicts me by the power of His Holy Spirit. I see Christ as the Savior. By the grace of God, I believe in Him. I depend upon Him. I repent of my sins. And that reconciliation, that reconciling work of Christ is applied to me. But make no mistake about it, Jesus doesn't have to come and do the cross work again. There's nothing left out. He accomplished everything He needed to accomplish for everyone who would ever believe when He did it without question. Don't think, when you think about the cross, I just challenge you pastorally to to not think in terms of potential. And when you want to think in terms of potential salvation, potential reconciliation, potential atonement, just challenge you to open up your Bible and start reading and try to find it. And hopefully, you'll be like me and you'll say, (laughs) I was giving Christ a lot of glory, but I wasn't giving Him quite enough because it doesn't speak in terms of potentiality. It speaks in terms of definiteness and specificity. And it causes me to want to say, okay, God, help me to keep growing and learning these things. One theologian called this effectual reconciliation. I like that. If you're one who likes theological fanciness, you might like it too. Effectual reconciliation. That means it's effective. It's sure. It's not potential. Leaving it up to me now to do something, to finish Reconciliation. Let's stop there for now. Let's stop there for now and have a whole new appreciation for that great Hebrew saying Shalom. Christ, who is our Shalom. Messiah, who is our shalom. Christ, who is our peace. It's amazing to think about. Not our potential shalom. Our sure shalom. Our sure peace. It's magnificent. Like I said before, there's a, there are a lot of different angles to look at when you think about the cross. We could have talked about justification. We could have talked about propitiation or satisfaction. We could have talked about a lot of different things, atonement. But it's been good for my soul at least to say, let's just focus on this one aspect and let's now obey the Lord's command when He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. I can have my mind filled with meditative thoughts on His greatness because He is my peace. for his glory and for his honor, we'll do that. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a good reminder from your word, just surveying some of these different passages about just how great Christ is and how glorious he is. And there's so much more. We're just scratching the surface of these things. Thank you, Father, for your graciousness. Thank you for the, the fact that you are the one who is our reconciler. This is a great morning and a great time for us to be able to now obey you as believers in taking bread and taking wine, eating and drinking, as you said, in remembrance of you. In remembrance of you in your perfect work on our behalf. Lord, may this be a great time of worship for us and contemplation as we meditate upon the greatness of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.